Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 4th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I've been covering this town longer than anybody. I'm here with our special contributor, Scott Budman, business and tech reporter for NBC News Bay Area. And if you notice something different this week, in honor of California's COVID lockdown, we are creating this podcast from our respective homes via Zoom, and you can actually see us for the first time, though you see Scott almost every day on the TV. Our producer is Jordan Henderson, who actually may be joining us at some point. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host for this podcast, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, let's go. All right, good to talk welcome to you. Good to, welcome to, see to you. video podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, this is how it's done in the pandemic. After... How many months we've been doing this? 18 months? Here we are. I don't even know. In the pain. You got to adjust. You got to adjust. Um, so a hell of a week. I know. I, you know, in the midst, and we've talked about this before, of a pandemic and a recession, we just have the biggest week for initial public offerings for tech that we've seen in years and years. And it just steamrolled over everything else. All of a sudden, tens of billions of dollars of wealth created back in Silicon Valley by local software companies, and a couple of them, you know, especially DoorDash, are kind of unique to today. Yeah. Well, you know, I got a, I got a quick note from Bob Grove this morning, interestingly, talking about DoorDash and Airbnb. And he said there was an um, uh, investment house that reported that according to their client base, 40% of all first-day IPO trades for DoorDash were by millennials, and 45% of IPO trades in Airbnb were millennials. And he that says, that, are they really doing sharp economic analysis, or do they go, well, I use Airbnb, and I got DoorDash came to my house last night. They've got to be hot. Let's go in. I mean, it has kind of a 1999 vibe to it. Right. And it also has a bit of, and this is going back old school, a Warren Buffett vibe to it. Remember, his advice was always buy what you know. And so if you have this huge class of millennials coming in, they're doing well. I mean, those who still have jobs, they want to invest in something. Are they going to invest in something that they hear about and maybe read about but don't understand? Or are they going to jump into something that they not only understand completely, but use and have been using uh, and, and in the case of DoorDash, have been using more this last few months than ever. Why not? Well, you know, I was thinking, I know an awful lot of millennials. I mean, I got two millennial sons. And, <laughs> you know, between Little League coaching and Boy Scouts and all that, I probably know 150 millennials. I don't know of any of them except on a business trip with their company, because a lot of them in their late 20s now, do anything but Airbnb. I don't know if they've ever actually checked in with their own money into a hotel. Right. I mean, I would never recommend jumping in on an IPO because you never know where that's going to go. And it's often very frothy. But if you are looking for a company that is so well known in the culture that in a fairly short period of time, it's become, you know, it's become a verb, kind of like Google did, right? You Airbnb, even if you do another company. And if that means it's built in to society for quite some time. And so I'm not surprised that there was a lot of excitement. I mean, the, the valuation of this. Well, but the froth is, when you said froth, right. the froth is pretty high right now. Uh, right. Uh, look, Airbnb is now worth more 
than Continental Hotels, Marriott Hotels, uh, International Con Intercontinental Hotels, Marriott and Hilton combined. Right, and that tells you that it's frothy and that it hasn't yet found its range, which is why it's dangerous to jump in right now. But the other point, hey, millennials are buying this, means it's in the culture, people understand it. They know it's not a fly-by-night. It's not going to go away. It's been around at least long enough to know this is how we do it now. And so they bought in. And, you know, you hope they don't lose a lot of money as it finds its range. But, you know, stock market aside, this is a company that's built into society right now. Well, I mean, the numbers are incredible. Uh, shares closed for Airbnb at 144.71. Market cap, 86 Point five billion dollars. Not bad for a little outfit that just a few years ago was, you know, where you can get an air mattress in somebody's apartment. <laughs> right. And what's rare is on day two, it's actually up a little bit, even on a down day for the overall market. Yeah, there wasn't any profit taking on them. That was interesting. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Not yet. And, and the insiders can't sell yet. It, it'll be a while until we figure out the range of stock-wise. But Talk about going out at a great time. I mean, we've seen companies, especially software companies over the last few weeks, just murder the market. And Airbnb and, and you know, the day before was DoorDash, just taking advantage of, I guess, kind of a fear of missing out. People don't want to miss out on the latest hot company to go public. By the way, you mentioned that uh, the lockout. I, I wonder, I think most people 20 years ago got a pretty good idea how it works, but I wonder if a lot of listeners now realize that if you have founder stock in a company, you're not going to sell it on IPO day. You can't because the underwriters have demanded certain things. So oftentimes the crash comes. This is what happened uh, during the dot-com bubble. A lot of people were paper millionaires and billionaires, but they had two things keeping them from exercising their options. One of them was the vesting period. If you got hired two weeks before the company went public, that stock, those stock options aren't going, to invest, aren't going to invest for a year or more, little by little by quarter. But the other thing is the underwriters say, lockout period, you can't sell your stock because that'll make the stock more valuable, but volatile at the IPO. So the lockout period is six months. So even if you're holding Airbnb stock options, you probably aren't going to do anything until late next summer. Right. And that's co very common for companies. And so if you're sitting on them right now and you're an employee, you know, you really just have to put your head down and, and grind this out because you're probably surprised, if not shocked, at how much money you have on paper. Yeah, and don't count it. Don't live like you have that money yet. Right. That was the big lesson learned in the dot-com boom to bust because it all happened so fast. The rise and then the fall, people bought houses and cars and God knows what else. And when the bills came due, the stock was much lower and they were unable to pay. Yeah, and, and uh, you gotta, you can oftentimes predict, this is what happened when the bubble burst, is that if you, in retrospect, looking back, we realized that if you had just taken the IPO dates during all those, those thousands of IPOs and just marched forward six to nine months, you would have predicted when the bubble was going to burst because the market was not going to allow all those newly minted billionaires to take their money. So right before the lockout period ended, those stocks all crashed. So let's, we'll, you and I will keep an eye on it next summer, what happens to these guys. And finally, there's a third company 
IPO, unlike the other two. I mean, they show you three, which one doesn't fit? <laughs> and it's um, C3.ai. Tom yeah, this was, right, Tom this is Tom Siegel's company. company. Yeah, and it, it is a software play, but to a much different extent. And I think, not to take anything away from Tom Siebel, who you know proved to be a, a successful uh, businessman, billionaire, software guy, um, but this is, and the ticker symbol is AI, software for artificial intelligence. So this is sort of a, a company with its eyes far into yeah. the future, um, but it went they're, now. They're, designed, sort of they're designed to help companies install all their AI. Yeah, and that will eventually, I think, be important uh, as and, and if AI takes off. Uh, but this was also done differently. This was one of those acquisition company deals and yeah. has since more than doubled. And I think, you know, AI is sexy, even though it's, it's still kind of futuristic. Uh, Tom Siebel is certainly a proven leader. Yeah, I bet the market was betting on Tom. I think so. This is his second home run. Right. And you could say he hit a triple before that because he was the crucial sales guy at Oracle. Oh, yeah. I would say this is his third big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And then Siebel Systems, he sells it for what? Six billion, eight billion to Oracle. Right. And, that, and this is interesting because this may be his most impressive play. Because did you cover this company when it was starting? I did, yes. It was going to be about carbon offsets. Right. It was talking about uh, some of that. It was talking about um, trying to help the biotech companies in the very early days of the pandemic come up with AI features to help them find a vaccine uh, you know, for COVID-19. So this was the first that most people heard about this company was actually at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, where it was saying, hey, we could help you use AI to, to find- Didn't it go even further back? I mean, there was a, he was starting a company that was gonna use technology to handle, I think it was carbon offsets. This was like six mm -hmm. years ago. And I think it morphed into the COVID, then it morphed into this. I mean, I've known Tom Siebel an awful long time. We wrote a book together, you know, and he's a, he's a very sharp, very, he, he's adaptable. I mean, that's his greatest skill as an entrepreneur. He knows how to move fast and he's a tough guy. And, you know, he makes these things happen. I mean, he's, a, he's, one, of the, he's one of the great underappreciated entrepreneurs of Silicon Valley. Well, because he's a quiet entrepreneur. He's not yes. boisterous like Larry Ellison or Elon Musk or anything like that. But uh, he's been nothing but successful. And he hit another home run this week. Yep. Hey, good for him. We need people like that. We need more and more, especially now. Okay. Uh, what's the impact of all these IPOs? I mean, we just talked about how a lot of people won't really have all their money. But this has to have an impact on housing prices around here. Yeah, eventually it will because this money is going to come due. And it, it could come at a time when, if we're lucky, we sort of get past this pandemic and people start to go out and even look at homes and things like that. The tech industry has stayed strong throughout. So we know those people have money, even if they're not yet buying and selling houses. So there could be some pent up demand um, on the other side of this. And not only will we have pent up demand, we'll have all this cash that these IPOs are going to bring to their investors. And, and this, these are Bay Area companies. The, the three you mentioned are all Bay Area companies and all likely to pay out or start paying out at about the same time. Uh, and so this could mean another, ah, you know, another boost in, in the housing prices. Like, we really need that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 20 years ago, I did a series of stories looking at all of the high-end retailers around here. And a lot of them have instituted these programs 
that you can walk in and you say, here's the current value of my stock options, $300 million. And you can walk into Ferrari of Los Gatos and they'll give you, they'll loan you a fraction of that to buy your new Ferrari early. You don't have to wait till next June. You can drive it for Christmas. And homes and all sorts of things uh, have that at places. And it's kind of interesting. Well, you, should, you might want to go out, well, nobody's going to these places anyway, but I bet you orders are already starting to come into these outfits. Yeah, that's how it goes. And, and that's dangerous because, right, then if you lose your stock money, Ferrari loses your stock money, the housing market loses your stock money, it, it all sort of goes downhill. So that's a dangerous thing to do. But yes, we will see orders come in. We're going to see, you know, model X's flying off the shelf. I mean, it, it's going to be a whole lot of cash coming to a whole lot of people in the Bay Area. Um, and that's just sort of how this goes when these IPOs happen. Yeah, it has a multiplier effect, you know? Right. right. Okay, uh, next. Uh, FireEye hacked. I mean, espionage suddenly came into the news this week. You know, we have, we have a congressman who apparently was sleeping with a Chinese spy from the Bay Area. FireEye gets hacked. You know, one of the great cybersecurity firms admits that they got hacked by an intelligent foreign power. That's an that interesting comment. Right. When a security company gets hacked, that's bad news. And FireEye has been out front of trying to fight these hackers. So I guess they made a target. Um, but uh, state-sponsored attack was the exact words he used. Right. And it'll be interesting to see the collateral damage because it's not like eBay was hacked and our, you know, yeah. private data was, was taken. Um, FireEye being hacked, we don't know, but those are the tools that are often used to keep hackers at bay. And so if that gets out, it could be bad news. Um, and FireEye is one of those companies, really since the Sony hack, that's been in the news as, hey, we fight back against hackers. And now it seems like the hackers are fighting back against FireEye. So has something changed or this espionage has been here for a long time and we're just, you know, it's one of these things where we have a story and everything erupts and we get all excited about for a brief period of time. Then we go back to the task quo ante. Yeah, I think if you talk to the security companies, and they are legion all over Silicon Valley, they would tell you this is a daily thing, at least yeah. a daily attempt. Um, and this one got through. But uh, the, the good news, if there is any, is that it wasn't a big consumer company, because those are constantly targets, because that's whom we give our private data. So in this case, yeah, we'll watch I mean, it, but right. Back in my newspaper days at the Merck, Pete Carey and I did a whole series on espionage in the Valley. And it wasn't just the enemies of America that were operating the Valley. The French were one of the biggest espionage outfits in town. The Israelis, the British, everybody wants to know what's going on in Silicon Valley. So right. they're embedded here. All and we, and you know, the more people we bring in from other countries, the greater the likelihood is. We know that China essentially believes that every one of its citizens that's in the United States has a duty to, you know, if asked, to provide information of their employer or what they, everything else. So is there really anything we can do? I mean, I'm not sure I want a guy who's on this, the House Intelligence Subcommittee to be compromised, you know, by a lady spy. But short of that, are the comp can the companies around here really do anything about it except just keep moving fast and stay ahead? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what the companies do. I mean, there is an entire industry built around staying ahead of that, whether it's for their clients, who are the Ebays and the Facebooks and, and right. the, uh, or for themselves. And in this case, uh, you know, the target was actually FireEye, which is kind of a surprise, but not all that much because, again, they have the tools to try to stay ahead of right. all this. Not only just staying ahead by fighting, you know, cybercrime and all that. I mean, the strength of the valley is the technology keeps moving, all technology keeps moving forward so fast that countries who try to steal it oftentimes steal stuff that's going to be obsolete six months from now. Right. I, I mean, I, I, we discovered uh, there, was a, there was a giant warehouse in the Soviet Union, and it was full of stolen U.S. technology. The problem was they didn't know how to run it. They didn't, take the, they didn't steal the manual. So a lot of this equipment was just sitting there and the roof was leaking and it was all being slowly rusted away because they hadn't stolen the entire apparatus to make it work. Yeah, shout out to the tech writers because you, uh, you need the documentation or else. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's keep going. Apple and Google debuted their contract tracing app. Isn't it a little late for that? I mean, that is my worry, yeah, because it actually works well, we don't know yet how it works because it just rolled out a couple of days ago. Um, actually, yesterday was day one as we talk. Um, but it's very easy to download. That was one of the concerns. It's an app in the Google Play Store that you can download. It's actually built into your iPhone. All you have to do is a couple of clicks and you're on. And it will tell you, uh, you know, as long as everyone is, enough people are, are jacked into this and, and, you know, trusting it. And then if someone says, hey, I have tested positive for COVID-19, you will be told if you were in touch with that person, uh, you know, within the last few days. And it's all Bluetooth, and it's a really interesting way at contact tracing. And part of it is, I, I wonder if we shouldn't have had this in place six months ago. Yeah. But, but you know, it still raises the same questions, cultural questions. Right. Do you trust these companies to keep that data private? Can you opt out? Do you really want to be the person that all of a sudden everybody goes, you're patient zero? Well, you know, gonna, that you know, wouldn't if, happen. If this, right. been, if this had been worse, and it's pretty, you know, it's hard to believe it could be worse, but it could be worse, you'd be hanging from a lamppost for by your neighbors as soon as you announce that you're the guy who's super spread this thing. Well, and that's the concern, but um, as far as what the companies are doing, they're doing it right in, if you believe them, anonymizing the data. And so you aren't told, hey, you were in touch with Michael, who has COVID-19, just that you were in touch with somebody, you better get a test, you might want to quarantine. Um, and the other thing is they insist the data just goes straight to California, which is therefore protected by federal HIPAA law. So if you can buy into that, now that doesn't mean it hasn't been hacked. Hospital systems and health systems are hacked all the time. But this is one way, and, and we know that when the NSA comes calling and <laughs> says, "Okay, give us the name and address of that anonymized piece of data," they're going to say yes. Right. So historically, and, they've always said yes. But I must say, and, and I'm not an advocate for ring doorbells. I'm not an advocate for Alexas. I keep that stuff out of my home. I don't even have Siri turned on. But I, I did, you know, log into this, and it was very oh, easy good for you. And, and I'm, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, I'm hoping I don't hear from anybody, but I'm hoping that if, if somebody does, you know, yeah. they'll go in time to take care of themselves. Right, exactly. You can, you can, you can 
needed to pass before it started, you start to have serious symptoms. And it is kind of significant that Google and Apple are compromising and working together on this. They're yeah. rivals, they're, you know, and, and they are. Yeah, we, have, we, uh, we have, in the modern world, we don't have a lot of sense of community. We have false communities, but we don't have personalized communities. So, right. yeah, it might be valuable in the long run, maybe, maybe incredibly valuable the next time around. True. And, and the next time around's coming. We now know that. Okay, uh, next, Elon Musk. We gotta have our Elon Musk story. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's announcing he's relocating, pulling up stakes, last Tuesday he announced pulling up stakes and relocating to Texas. Are there any, first of all, I mean, is this just Elon being Elon or is there a larger implication of this? I mean, I can't get excited about this. I gotta be honest, Michael, I can't. He's a really, really rich guy. He's the second richest person on the planet. They got a lot of coverage. You, you didn't even send it on your list of interesting <laughs> stories. You, I, have, I, you, have, you have Elon burnout. I had it and I took it off because I thought, how much do we want to hype the fact that Elon Musk has yet another home, this time yeah. in Texas. Good for him. He lives in Texas. He can live anywhere he wants. He's got Tesla. He's got SpaceX. He's got homes all over the world, I'm sure. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, L.A. I'm sure misses him. And I'm sure he's going to still spend a lot of time in L.A. because, you know, he's, what, dating a singer. I, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Because yeah, Grimes is in L.A., isn't she? I mean, is she going with him? I, <laughs> again. <laughs> the, fact that I, the fact that I know this, I know her name, is depressing enough. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But look, if most of us moved somewhere, it would mean we went somewhere and that's where our one house is now. Yeah. That's not the case with a guy like Elon Musk. So he's moving, and I put that in your quotes, to Texas. He can be anywhere he wants, anytime. It's not a big deal. True enough. Okay. Um, looking ahead. Yes. Here come the vaccines. And we know that there's already a debate forming about vaccine equity. Right. Who gets it? Do developing countries get it first because they're impoverished? Does the United States and UK get it first because, in a sense, we paid for it? Uh, do old people get it because they're, they're the highest risk? Do, do we not give it to kids? There seem to be some sort of possible after effects on uh, women in childbearing age that they're not sure about. I can see a, we now run, we managed to get past the technical test, which was supposed to be the tough part, and we made it look pretty damn easy. I mean, we did it in eight months instead of 25 years, but now, then we are, now we're getting past the distribution challenge, which was how do you put all this stuff in refrigerators and fly them 20,000 miles and deliver them into people? <clears throat> but now it's the ethical challenge, because a lot of groups are saying, no, we deserve it first. I mean... I think it's in the, is the state of Washington. One of the states has said a certain race should get it first because they have less opportunity. Uh, we're hearing all sorts of things. I mean, who's going to adjudicate this? I mean, who's going to stand there with a syringe and go, you get it now and you got to wait three weeks? Well, the short answer is the CDC, and they have come out with – sort of a, a strata, a pecking order, if you will. Yeah, they had that one-day meeting. I wonder if that one-day meeting is going to be <laughs> sufficient to decide this, the nuances well, of this. I don't know. And if there's 
anything good coming from the fact that this is going to take time. It's that that gives us time. Time not over to only to figure out who's next and who's on the list, uh, but also time to figure out, right, are there any side effects? Should children be getting this? Uh, are there any you know, risk factors if you're pregnant or if you're sick or whatever? Um, and that gives time. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a fan of vaccines. I say, let's do this. But on the, on the same token, I'm okay being down the list <laughs> because we get right. to see how it works for, for others first. I'm all I mean, this, this was always about grandma, grandma and grandpa. Right, right. You and, know? Um, and they're getting it first. And we'll see. I mean, we, we saw that already in the UK earlier this week. Uh, you know, it was, it was, I think, a 91-year-old woman or something, and she will be monitored, you know, second by second to see if there are any side effects. And, and the same will happen once it starts here, and it seems like we are on the cusp of starting them here, both the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. Um, we're not going to have enough uh, for quite some time. That's been made clear. Um, and so that's a concern because this virus is still raging. Uh, and, right, you know, different groups are saying, hey, we should be moved up or they should be moved down. And that's sadly how you knew it was going to go. But, um, right. I mean, you, know, you know, human nature, when right. some people get it and they go back to their normal life and large groups haven't gotten it yet and they're storming, you know, hospitals and everything else demanding their vaccine. I mean, we could set ourselves into an interesting social mess over the next four or five months. We could. I hope we don't, because like you said, this is, you know, to help the old people, it's to help the infirmed, and then it's to get everybody vaccinated so we don't get them sick. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's premature, but, uh, you know, we're always thinking about the future, but we're heading now towards seeing the aftermath of a pandemic. I mean, we're hearing rumors that 100,000 small businesses have shut down in the United States over the last few months. And even the ones that are alive are still, you know, on their last legs. I don't know if the, if the feds are gonna provide another bailout. I mean, they've been sitting on that for two and a half months, disputing a zero, you know. Um, I wonder, I wonder just how bad this is gonna be when we finally open up again. You know, the market's been seems like it's defying gravity once again. And you and I talk about this when the market defines gravity. You know, it, it, when it's beyond all reason and logic, it probably is. And right. I wonder if, you know, we are really going to see a, a backlash when the numbers finally come out and we see, you know, the smoke lifts from the pandemic and we see what the blasted landscape really looks like. It's true. It's true. I mean, the things that are hot right now, Peloton, Zoom, uh, DoorDash, uh, you know, they're providing a lot of cash that's keeping this market afloat. But what happens on the other end? And we'll see that day by day, week by week, um, not only with the economy, but in what we were just talking about, the, the vaccine proper, um, you know, progress. Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about in the weeks to come, no doubt. On a, on a personal note, I, I can sit in my house and call DoorDash, but you're essential. Has, has the, the, the latest shutdown changed how you do it? I mean, you've been working out of your van, the company van, doing your stories. Do you even leave your house now? Yeah, we still work out of the van and we still talk to people and uh, I just try to do it as safely as possible. Long boom mic, Zoom interviews, always masked. Um, really B-roll B -roll shot through the windshield. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> from, a, from a distance, that's the, the key word, yeah. Um, 
And it's, it's, it's scary because you just see the case numbers go up so high, no matter what you do. And, um, you know, I certainly didn't travel for the holidays. I'm certainly not going to travel. I haven't traveled anywhere for nine months. Um, so trying to keep that down, you know, on the home front as well as the work front. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's scary out there. And I'm really glad to see progress being made with these vaccines. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it'll be a nice Christmas present. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And who knows, maybe even YouTube. Stay safe and have a great weekend, uh, despite the rules and maybe the rain. Bye-bye.